and uh, the worship this morning as we join our voices in our Advent call to worship. Be patient, wait and watch, for the Lord is drawing near to us. We have gathered here this day to hear the good news and to gather strength for the times to come. Be at peace with one another. Let love and wisdom prevail. Open your hearts and souls to God's healing word. Lord, touch our hearts. Teach us to patiently listen for your words of love. Amen. Turn our hearts to God as we share together in our prayer and confession. Lord God, we praise you for sending light into this world. We confess that we live as though the light had never defeated darkness. We confess that we ignore the Savior you sent to be among us and to live in us. We've kept the birth of your Son confined to the Christmas season and do not yearn for his coming each moment in our waiting hearts. Forgive us for not opening our eyes to Jesus. Prepare us for his return. Help us rejoice in the light so that your grace can illuminate the darkened places of our hearts. Amen. Most holy God, we, your people, deeply desire to draw closer to you, to be so connected that we love as you love, and to see all of your creation through your eyes. We praise you for the way in which you tend to us so lovingly and are thankful when you prune those behaviors and habits that stand in the way of of your purpose for us, as difficult as that may seem sometimes. And yet only when those things are trimmed away can we be the servants that you intend for us to be. Prune us so that we will be fruitful in the ways in which we reach out to others and do the work that you would have us do. Lord, we are just one of many branches connected to your vine. We pray that as our lives intertwine with each other and you, that we will reach out and love others as you have shown your love to us. Jesus, we pray today for our friends and families for your church, and for those who need your healing hands upon them. We pray for an end to violent acts that rip families and communities apart and pray for the wisdom of our leaders as they address these issues that are becoming all too commonplace. Here are prayers that we've written out on prayer cards today, the ones that we have shared as one body here in this time of prayer and also the silent prayers of our hearts that we lift up to you in complete and utter trust that you hear and answer our prayers. And now we pray together as Jesus himself taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture this morning, as we continue in the book of John, begins the chapter 15, which is, again, very familiar to a lot of people and used in so many different ways. But it reminds us again of how connected we are to God and how important that uh, abiding with him and remaining with him and staying close to him, how important that truly is. We're going to read um, John 15, 1 through 17, so follow along either on the screens or if you brought your Bibles this morning, I would welcome you to do that or grab one of those pew Bibles in front of you. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is, my fa- this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Let us be in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this powerful, wonderful message of your love and your grace and the ways in which you ask us to remain in you and stay connected to you. Lord, it is only in that way that we can truly understand and truly begin to know um, the depths and breadth of your love, and that we can then share that with others and live our lives being an example of your love and, and to be that servant of your love. 
And so, Lord, thank you for that, and thank you for the message that you've given Pastor Mike to share with us this morning. We look forward to hearing what you have given him to share and and know that it's going to even further help us to understand this passage and, and bring that to life within us. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I appreciate your prayers. I'm fixing to preach the gospel today, so I need prayers. I wish you'd prayed a little bit earlier, though, because I already preached this sermon once, and I need to slice a little bit out of it, because one of the pieces I used in there went like uh, concrete flippers on a swimmer. So, uh, <laughs> so I saved a minute of your life. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> you could have prayed earlier and saved a minute of theirs, but they got to hear it. So that's not in there. I do want to say a couple other prefatory remarks. Um, Pastor Keith is on vacation uh, today. Um, he'll be back, of course, tomorrow. And um, I want to remind you, it's all around you. You can see it. You've read it. You get it on email. It's in the Marian Methodist. But we're in the midst of the Advent season. As we walk closer to the advent of Christ coming into the world, we have many things, some of which are traditional, that we praise God Many things we do um, to celebrate our children and their, and their life and many things that we do to help people heal during this season. So I hope you'll pay heed to that. Particularly, all this that's behind me is going to uh, raise their hands and praise God this afternoon at 4 o'clock. You should not miss it if you're able to. That football game at that time is not going to be nearly as good as uh, the other ones. So you might as well come and praise the Lord. Um, and if you would, um, benefit and bless the Marian Food Pantry by bringing some foodstuffs to that. The Word of God from the people, for the people of God, Vicki has already read for you this morning. Uh, allow me, if you would, um, to uh, interpret that for you and pay heed to the words that I say. And, and let them come into your spirit and, and uh, raise you to highest heights. I am celebrating in my heart, I, even though I wrote this sermon earlier in the week, I, I, I counted on some things to be true that I wrote then, and I know that they are. The, these two sitting in the front and several other 7th and 8th graders, uh, 24 in total, were overnight in the church with Pastor Mike on Friday night. Yay! <laughs> I don't look forward to the sleeping in the church part, but I love every year when we have the confirmation retreat. And I think if you were to poll them today, you'd say, what did you do at the retreat this weekend with, with Pastor Mike and some of your parents? And they'd say, oh, we had so much fun. We got to play sardines in the church. Not in the sanctuary, but in the church. Do you know what sardines is? It's a reverse hide-and-go-seek. One person goes and, and hides, and when you find them, you stay with them. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but this old building has a lot of creeks and crooks in it. And they love that. They say, oh, it's so much fun. Can we play it again? They would have done that all night if I had let them, but I wouldn't. Jeff, what did you do at the retreat? Oh, we had so much fun. We got to run these, you know, balloon races around the hallways, up and down the steps in the elevator, all that kind of stuff. What'd you do? Did, did, did you mean Pastor Mike brought you to the church just to eat bad food and play games? No, we studied some stuff too. And I would say, no, they didn't study some stuff. They studied one thing. We did a deep dive into a basic doctrine of the, of the Christian faith known as the Trinity. And it just so happened because of some quirks in the local church calendar that that retreat happens on the same week that I'm talking about where Jesus shares in chapter 14 of John and chapter 15 of John all three elements of the Trinity. Now, I tell you this because you need to understand this if you don't know this, Christians. The word Trinity, 
does not appear in the God, in the Bible. The, the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible anywhere. Yet, uh, you know, we typically in this in this uh, worshiping congregation at eight thirty, we we speak of the Trinity. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Does that sound familiar to you? We say the Trinity every every week, and actually, as part of our creed, we profess it to be true. We profess it not only to be true in the world, we profess it to be true in our lives. We believe that God is in one, in three persons. Now, not only does it say it in our creeds, but in our hymnody, it says this. This is a hymn you probably rarely use, and if you if I've lost your attention, you can turn to eighty five in the blue hymnal and read the words along with me. We believe in the one true God. is is the name of the hymn. We believe in one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, ever-present help in need, praised by all the heavenly hosts, by whose mighty power alone all is made and wrought and done. We believe in Jesus Christ, Son of God, Mary's Son, who descended from his throne and for us salvation won, by whose cross and death we are rescued from sin's misery. We confess the Holy Spirit who from both forever proceeds and upholds and comforts us in trials, fears, and needs. Blessed and holy trinity, praise forever be to thee. You see, we point to the trinity in the living of our faith, in our creeds, in our hymnody. And I would say that this comes not without deep foundation. The deep foundation of which it comes from the scripture. Even though the word Trinity does not appear in the scriptures anywhere, scripture points us to understanding God in this way throughout. And where we're at right now, Jesus at the Last Supper clearly expresses his reality as one of the three distinct personalities of the one God. He shows that. He and the Father agree that he is sent for this moment, the incarnation. It says in the scriptures, at just the right time, God sent Jesus. At just the right time, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit agreed this is the moment to interpose ourselves into human history. At this moment, we're going to take on flesh. In the form of Jesus of Nazareth. At just this moment in time. We. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Are going to appear in one person. And when this moment. The incarnate life of Christ. Concludes. He will return to the fellowship of the Father. And the Spirit will come here. And stay. Now. There are two simple pictures. That I always give to youth. To help them understand the Trinity. The first is just simple uh, root words. And take a look at this. If you look at the word Trinity. Tri means three. Right? Tri. There's three. And then if you take unity. It means one. So you have tri-unity. Which means the Trinity. Now. You say, now, I'm going to tell you this because the Trinity, God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one of the biggest mysteries in all of Christianity. So anytime I say it's like this, there's a, there's a, a metaphor or an analogy, you're going to fall short because you cannot fathom the depth and richness and width of God by saying it's like this. So, so let me show what I do with the youth. I say, raise your hand, and I, I'll do this with you too. You, you can do this. Raise your hand if you're a child of anyone. I'm right. 100% participation. 
So I have all the students raise their hand. I also did that to kind of wake you guys back up right now. It's dark in here and all that kind of stuff. So I have them say, raise your hand if you're a child of anyone. I say, raise your hand if you're a cousin of anyone. If you have another cousin, raise your hand if you're a student. They, whether it's because you want to or because it's the state law of Iowa. And they all raise their hands. All 24 of our students the other night were, were both, where they were children. Every single one of them was a child. I wasn't astonished by that. Every one of them was a cousin. Again, not astonished by that. And every one of them, I knew they were students because at least they were a student of our class. And I said, are you the same person in all of those situations? I would say, yes, you are. But do you relate to them all? Let's just take the simple matter of homework. Your mom says to you, have you completed your homework, honey? And you say, well, no, dear mother, I have not yet (laughs) done my complete assignment. You talk to her that way, and when you go to school and and, and, uh, your teacher says, "Uh, have you completed your assignment? You're like, "Um, I'm sad to admit, I forgot. I didn't do it. Please, I beg your forgiveness. Don't send me on detention, right? You talk to your teacher different than you talk to your mother. And if you see your cousin, they say, did you do that math? They're like, no way, I did not understand any of it, okay? You do not talk to people the same way. You have one person, you're still yourself, but yet you have these relationships that are different. And at the same time you were a son, you were also, uh, uh, you were also a cousin. At the same time you're a cousin and a son, you're also a student. You understand where we're going with this, you see? You, you, you can be one person, you're one, but you're at least three. And you have unity because it's the same mind, the same spirit driving all that. That's one thing I always share with the students. The second one, I give them a little math equation. Take a look at this math equation. This is a Trinitarian math equation. So often when we have three things, follow me, we, we write a plus sign in there. One plus one plus one equals three. But in the math of the Trinity, it is father times son times Holy Spirit equals one God. One times one times one equals one. You you see, the the Trinity is not a math equation, but I hope those little simple pictures help you understand the greatest uh, mystery in Christianity. And John chapter 15, see I say all that to get to this. John 15 is saturated with this truth. You see, John 15 tells us that the Father is the master gardener who loves the creation to best life. He loves creation not only to life, he loves it into best life. You see, before what we know as time was going on, there was God in perfect unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God's love was so great that we spoke, they spoke creation into being. But not just to simply be, but to have best life. And to have best life, any growing organism needs some guidance. I have a friend named Bob Mankey. If you're from Webster City, you knew him. He was a great florist. He had a great flower shop. He was one of those master gardeners. Do we have master gardeners among us? I mean, yeah, see, we've got some people in here. Bob Mankey's one of those guys, if I came in here and said, if he came in this week and I said, Bob, you see the carpet right here? Next Sunday when I come in, I'd love to have a Christmas tree growing right out of that carpet. A living Christmas tree. I want it, an, you know, a spruce tree. I want it to be about four foot tall. 
And he'd get that thing growing right out of that carpet. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how you do it, Dane. I don't know how you do it, John. I'm, I, they can grow anything. And Bob was one of these guys. He could grow anything. And he didn't just keep things alive. If you saw his flowers over here against his house, and you saw the very same flowers growing in his neighbor's yard, you just look at hers and say, oh, that's so sad what she's done with those flowers. Because his flowers were so awesome. He knew how to give them the best life. He knew the right things, the nutrients to put in them. He knew what to do with them. See, the master gardener who loves creation, he loves it to best life. And and one of the things the father does to give us best life is the father prunes for growth. Now, my friend Bob Mankey, I was with him one day. It was actually a sad moment. It was right after his wife died that he was unable to stand still. So he said, come on out. I got some pruning to do. So as we were planning his wife's funeral, he was pruning, or what I would call killing a plant. He was killing this plant. He was knocking all these things that were healthy and, and some that were dead off it. When it got done, it was just about a few sticks. And, and then he got done and he looked at it and he says, well, this one should really be able to produce now. I'm like, you killed it. He says, no, I gave it the chance for its best life. And when I went back six months later, saw that bush growing, oh my gosh, it was just, because the master gardener knows how to prune. See, the Lord prunes us, as the scripture says, by giving us Jesus. He gives us, he knows what our life is, and he says, here is, is the formula. Here is what will prune your ideas away. If you accept his way, you will grow towards best life. And we know that that's the truth. If we accept his way, we will grow into best life. The father prunes us for growth, and at the same time, understand this, the father also cuts to discard, to get rid of some things. See, I want to tell you there's a difference between pruning and cutting. Last week after your 8.30 service, one of our young students was here. And I said, oh, Tyler, you're not usually here at 8.30 services. What are you doing here today? He says, well, my family has a tradition of going to get our Christmas tree in the morning after Thanksgiving weekend on Sunday. And we're going today. And if I was going to hear a sermon, I had to come at this service. I said, I want 3,000 more of you. I want 3,000 more just like you in my congregation. But then I got to thinking during the week, he says, wait, he's going to get a Christmas tree. There's going to be a branch or two discarded. So I said, Tyler, bring me a branch. And he did. And let me tell you, I've got that branch here today that was cut last Sunday off the bottom of their Christmas tree that now is in their home. And if their home is anything like this carpeted area right here beside me, they're going to need a bigger vacuum cleaner. (laughs) But, But you see... The thing of it is, is that this branch was cut off the bottom of that tree to be discarded. It's unnecessary. It's of no use to anyone anymore. And that's the caution. And I'm not making this up. Read what the scripture says. This is not a turn or burn type of sermon. The Lord cuts and discards those who do not grow to best life. That's not Pastor Mike's words. That's the words of Jesus in John chapter 15. The simple metaphor is, is that growing for God is best life, not growing for God no life. No life at all. You see, this branch should not be a metaphor of our lives. Stay connected to the vine. I'll come back to that. See, the life that we're given is to be lived in relationship with the Son. You know, Jesus tells us. And this was how the Trinity expressed himself as the Son. The, The Son says the life we are to be in are to be in relationship with him for best life. 
All of us are given existence. We are given a heartbeat and breath that will come in and out. But not all claim the best life. Not all claim the best life. The best life is to be in relationship with Jesus. Let me give you three critical things about this relationship. First, to be in relationship with Jesus, we need to remember, I chose you. He chose us. It was his idea to choose you. You know, so many of us walk around, and I I know many of you walk around worrying about this. Will someone choose me? Am I going to get chosen for this job? Am I going to get chosen to be in this relationship? Am I going to get chosen to be my parents' favorite? Am I going to get, you know, we worry about whether or not our our, our self-esteem is plummeting. We we, help, help me, help you understand this. It's my role this morning. You are chosen for life by the life. You are chosen to be written in the pages of life by the author of life. You are given life by the one who has life to give. You get and understand that that's what Christmas is all about, don't you? Christmas, this is all beautiful. All that we do in the church and all that you do in your home. But Christmas is not about this. Christmas is about God choosing you. That's why we do this, is to celebrate that God chooses you. You see, before time was, God chose you for his plan. And he says to us still today, I chose you, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you. And then we're reminded that the life we're to be in relationship with for the best life also tells us life comes from me to you. Not the other way around. See, the, the, the vine grows the branch. The branch does not grow the vine. See, if I, if I sent one of you home with Tyler's branch and said, take this home and plant it, and I'll be by next year to see the tree, you once again will say, Pastor Mike has lost it. Because a branch does not grow a tree. A trunk, the spine of a tree grows a tree. The vine grows the branches, not the other way around. Neither can we who are finite grow eternal life. We cannot simply do that. Your life was given to you. You had nothing to do with it. God had everything to do with it. Remind yourself what scripture says. We hear our Christ saying, without you, without you, I am still the life. I am still the life, with or without you. Without me, you have no life. You have no life. So stay connected to me. Stay connected to me. And I will tell you this, that joy comes from obedient connectedness. I was I was privileged, and I, probably Ron was too, a few of us else in here, were privileged to play football with a, for a guy named Lloyd Schaefer at Marion High. Some of you remember Coach Schaefer. I'll tell you one thing about Coach Schaefer. <clears throat> he didn't believe in negotiations. He gave us the plan. This is how you're going to play your defense. And I'll tell you, for Indians, Marion Indians of several generations, when you're obedient to the plan that Coach Schaefer laid out on us, how you were going to run your defense... It rained down joy. 
It rained down joy because what we measure joy in in football is victories. And when you followed coach's plan, that coach anyway, victories piled up one after another. And let me tell you the reason I tell you that. Not because Shafe was a good man, but he was. To much greater measure, when we're obedient to the plan of life that Jesus Christ sends to us, joy rains down on us. We don't have to understand it all. I didn't understand half the time what Schaefer was telling me to do. He'd say, stand here. If this happens, do this. I never once asked why I trusted my leader. When Jesus says, live your life this way, we might want to understand it all, but you don't have to understand everything. You simply have to be obedient to it. And this obedience is not oppressive. It doesn't, you don't have to do it. Again, remember, Jesus is fine with or without us. But remind yourselves that obedience is not oppressive because it generates joy in our lives because our life comes not some creation of our own. It becomes best. Do you understand me? And thirdly, in John 15, Jesus shows us the Holy Spirit over and over again. The Holy Spirit is our advocate for living, says Christ. We see this in John 14. <clears throat> you know, I've got some of this going on in my life right now. I have a, have a friend that, you now I'm in that age group where stuff can happen, you know, where you lose your career. And, and he lost his career um, by some efforts of his own, some... Uh, efforts of others and certainly some politics were involved but but throughout the last year or so I've been walking side by side with him texting him calling him being with him emailing him and Friday morning he called me and he said you know Mike I've just been through the ringer and nobody else is sticking around me he says I really appreciate that you're being an advocate I really need an advocate there are days when I can't get up out of bed and I think to myself If you don't get out of bed, Morgan's going to know. And he's going to call you and say, get out of bed. So I really appreciate you being an advocate because I really need one right now. And I I, I would say, and obviously in much greater measure, again, we can't ever illuminate God by some example from our lives. The Holy Spirit is our advocate for living. We all need an advocate. We all need someone that we can count on to advocate the best life for us. And the scripture tells us, and Jesus tells us over and over again, that we all have one from now through your forever in the Holy Spirit. You have an advocate that is pushing you towards the best life, that is encouraging you, that's coaxing you on and on. And as we stand here at the edge of Christmas, I want to remind you of three things the Holy Spirit advocates for you always. First... There is always a way home. I want somebody in here to hear this today. This was heavy on my heart yesterday when I was running through this. It's really important for us to hear the fact that the Holy Spirit reminds us that there's always a way home to Him. It's really important because sometimes we feel so far away from God. We've done this, that, or the other thing, or things, this, that, or the other thing have come upon us, and we feel so far away. The Bible tells us we feel clean, cut off. And you saw the image of the vine and the tree, of what that means. But we feel that way doesn't make it true. But this is the truth that I do. No matter what we have done, no matter where we have been, the Holy Spirit, the advocate for our best life, is calling you back to life in Christ. Is calling you back to your best life in Christ and providing you with a path. Now, I don't know why that's in this sermon today. I think there's somebody here that needs to hear that. I woke up yesterday after sleeping five hours in the upper level of the Carnegie thinking somebody needs to hear. I don't know. Maybe it's in one of the later services. Maybe it's right now. Somebody needs to hear. 
But no matter where you've been, no matter what you have done, the Holy Spirit is calling you back to life in Christ and providing you with a path. I stood in our chapel a handful of months ago because I'm really, on Wednesday night, AA meets in there. And I've really been concerned about one of our guys, one of, one of you, that's been fighting alcoholism for years. And he went to several meetings and just psh, went into the wind. And I asked the guys who live that life every day, I said, how do I help somebody get back in here? And they said, you can only do one thing. And then this deep theological moment happened. Remind him that there's always a way home. He just needs to look up and see which road the Spirit is leading him to. I thought, that's awesome. i got to tell you guys that. There's always a way home. The Holy Spirit is providing us one. And he calls to us in every single moment. Secondly, the work of the Holy Spirit that's critical for us to see as we stand on the edge of Christmas is that the Holy Spirit allows us and helps us to pursue holiness in our lives. John Wesley says that we should, that you know, the founder of the Methodist movement says that we should seek to have holy lives, holy tempers, and live in holy ways. Now, living a holy life and living in a holy temper won't come from a I should attitude. It won't come from us saying, I'm so busy, I've got jobs and stress and all that kind of stuff. We can't get so full. I don't know if you noticed this. I don't know if you did. But sometimes we get so full and busy that we push Christ right out of stuff. We push God right out of stuff. If if you... If you take a look around, I'm not talking about the culture. They don't have any reason to put Christ in Christmas. That's our deal. But but we can't push Christ out because we're interested in other things. We have to resolve ourselves to holy living, which means a life that yields fully and completely to God and all. I remember when I first went to seminary out in Denver, I didn't know what I was getting, but I, I thought when I first went out there, I didn't know anything about what preachers did to get to become a preacher. I just knew God had to call them out. And I had this deep fear that I was going to come out there and find a bunch of guys in gray robes walking around saying, because I didn't want to be that guy. I wanted to be holy, but I didn't want to walk around and go, no, 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 no. I had a bad singing voice, you know? And, and so I, I didn't want to spend my life that way. I thought God wanted us to do and be about something else. And what I realized... And what I hope you understand is that leading a holy life is not walking around singing Gregorian chants. It's not even because you have Life 101.9 on on your radio. Living a holy life means that you fully and completely yield to God in everything. You fully and completely yield to God in everything. To me, it's kind of like this. I remember years ago, I was sitting at my kitchen table. It was a lazy Saturday morning. We had no thing on the calendar. And one of my little daughters, she was four years old at the time, saddled up onto my lap as I was maybe sipping a second cup of coffee. And she looked up to me like little children did. And she grabbed my face with both of her hands. And she says, well, daddy, what are we going to do today? And I love that because she didn't care what I said next. If I'd have said, we're going to paint the attic, she'd be like, awesome. We're going to fold your clothes. Awesome. She was completely and fully yielding herself to whatever I had planned for her that day. Do you get what I'm saying here? See, see, when Jesus says we're to yield our spirits to have childlike faith, it means we're supposed to give ourselves to Christ so fully and completely that, that we allow God to guide us in the pursuit of a holy life. Wherever God will take us, we will go. Are you there yet? As you stand on the edge of Christmas... And thirdly, the Holy Spirit guides us and advocates for us to live fruitfully 
See, your life is about something of eternal consequence. It's not just about getting up and taking the right meds and eating the right foods and all that kind of stuff. For you, you're supposed to stay connected to the vine all day, every day. Connect yourself to the vine of Christ and never let go and never let yourself be cut off. Never let yourself be pushed away. And spend your entire life, and this is important, because those that are connected have the responsibility of seeking to connect others. We have the responsibility to grow, not this church, although I want that to grow because it would be a fruit of something that we're doing. We're to grow others, to help others connect to Christ. You see, that's what Holy Communion is about today, and that's what it's about always. You know, we celebrate this Christ, you know, it's kind of odd maybe as you come to, to, to Christmas, the, the days before Christmas, the, the month of, of, of December, and say we, we, we start our communion service by saying, on the last night of his life. But let me tell you why that works. Our Lord is a Lord from cradle to cross. That's what the incarnation was about. He knew before he was born where this was going. His, his coronation is not with a crown of many jewels. It's with a crown of thorns. And it's there that he connects you now and forever with him. You see, when we serve communion to you in just a few moments, the connectedness, what this is all about, is the connectedness to the vine that has chosen the best life for you is asking, will you say yes to that today? Will you? As you know, in the last night of his life, our Lord Jesus Christ was meeting with his disciples and, and he was eating with them. And, and though they'd seen him break bread many times, he took a loaf of bread before their very eyes. He broke it and offered it to them and said, take and eat for this bread represents my body. And just as you have seen my very hands break this bread before you, so you will see other hands break my life before you. Eat this bread and remember me. And after the Supper was over and all had taken their fill. He took a cup. He raised it to heaven, gave thanks to his Father in heaven, and then said, Drink from this, all of you. For in this cup is the wine, which represents the blood of the new covenant. My blood that's shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you eat bread, drink this wine. And so, on this, the second Sunday of Advent, we come forward and we receive those elements, knowing that Christ provides a way for us to stay connected, and to our eternal life, and to help connect others. Now, friends, before you come, I want you to know that we extend our, our communion service beyond here. So if you're a communion steward that takes, takes our holy meal to those that are beyond here, those bags are in the front row today because of uh, the amount of apparatus up here. So please don't forget those. Secondly, I want to remind you what it says on the screen. If Christ is yours and you are his, then come and eat at the Lord's table. And if you've never been here, Let someone else go first and you'll figure it out. Give us a second. We'll get ready here.